Welcome to Exit the Red Race, the podcast for high performance who want to enter the next level in business and in life with more focus, more energy, clarity, and freedom. We don't do dusty book wisdom or guru quotes. It's all about real extraordinary experiences and the raw lessons from daily life. He asks you the questions that no one else does. Sometimes tough, sometimes in your face, but always with one goal, challenging you to live your most legendary life. Here's your host, Daniel Kluke. Exit the Red Race. Today in the Exit the Red Race Growthcast, we have Mark Jenkins from the USA, and he's one of the hottest personal trainers in the business. His clientele consists of Mary J. Blythe, LL Cool J, Beyonce, Puff Daddy, and Miss Elliot, to name a few. And we're going to dive deep into Mark's personal story, and I can guarantee you this. There will be some success formulas that you can literally apply in your own life. We also will dive deep into the mindset of his clientele. What sets them apart from the wannabe artist? What makes the difference that makes the difference? Enjoy. Welcome everybody. Today I have Mark Jenkins on the show. Uh, He's from the US. He grew up in uh, Brooklyn, if I'm uh, correct. Or the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yes. (laughs) He has a background being into the Navy but he's now doing something really special. He's a celebrity trainer for uh, Mary J. Blige, LL Kuje, Beyonce, DJ Khalid, Buster Rhymes, Puff Daddy. So you really have a track record, uh, Mark, that is really special. And what I'm really curious in today and probably our listeners also is like, okay, your own personal story, where you started out and your background being uh, where you were and where you are right now. But I'm also really curious, like you work really with a specific type of client and let's also dive a little bit deeper into their mind. So thank you for being here. (laughs) So I've heard your story on other, let's say, interviews. It's now when I heard your story the first time and I saw it on a video, you had a chuff or let's say a rough childhood, right? If I'm correct. Yeah, I mean, you know, not not so much more rough than anybody else, I would imagine, at that time. But yeah, everybody gets bullied in school. You know, everybody, I guess there's always one kid that's getting bullied. I just happen to be that one kid. Uh, you know what I mean? So I think there's that kid everywhere in schools. And, um, you know, that's why I can relate to people uh, as a trainer, because I've actually been there. But yeah, I had a rough childhood, um, you would say, growing up in Brooklyn at that time in the crack era. You know, that was the, uh, I'm 51. Yeah. So that was... Uh, going to school in the 80s, stepping over the uh, crack files, going to school, a lot of drug addiction, a lot of shootings in the street. That was New York at its, at its wildest was uh, in the 80s uh, in New York City. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of environmental hazards, a lot of hazards at school, a lot of hazards getting home <laughs> from school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even in another interview, I heard you that you sometimes really needed to run to come home in a safe way, right? Run home to keep my sneakers on because they would take your sneakers off your feet. You know, you'd be walking home in the snow. Wow. Just have to run home sometimes, check out who's out there and just, you know, get back home as quick as I could. So it was always, that was always my anxiety was getting to and home from school. You know, once you made it to school, you were somewhat safe, depending, but it was just that getting to and fro that I was like, oh my God, every day anxiety. 
Yeah, I can imagine. And that that still is influencing you in one way or the other to, today, right? Because your your history is also have shaped you into the man that you are today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Whether you succumb to your history or uh, or you rise above your history or you or you change because of your history, it shapes you one way or the other, you know? Yeah. So would you then say, Mark, I'm really curious because then you grew up in an environment like that. And if you see where you are right now, probably friends of you around you probably also would go maybe more to let's say the the criminal uh, kind of uh, things how did you did you stay just being you in those circumstances i had a lot of friends yeah that are dead or in jail but also a lot of people were just like me striving to make it out yeah. at the same time so there were a lot of different stories uh one thing for me was that uh there was like elders and i think that's missing in the community or on the block who would you know hey man you know, you got, we're, we're kings in Africa. There was always one old man on the block. Yeah. We're kings in Africa. We used to be kings and queens. Don't conduct yourself like that. Now go to the store for me and give me some weed. <laughs> Don't give me a... <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> you know, a little bit of both would always pull me over to the side. They were like, hey, you know, we're, we're better than this. We come from dynasties. We built the pyramids. So, you know, very early on, I was always influenced. I had a, I had two different voices to listen to. You know, a lot of kids that grew up with me, they only had one voice to listen to. But, you know, I did, I did, I can't say I didn't have an option because people, I was always, my mom, my parents always told me, hey, you can do this or you can end up like this. You know, a lot of times these kids are already doing criminal stuff to uh, to feed the kids. So they're born into it a lot of times. So it's a different situation for me. So I really don't have that excuse to say, you know, but still, you know, you, I think it's important. You have to be able to see the alternative to be able to grasp for it. Yeah, you know? yeah, th that is beautiful. So in a way you say your family life was a warm one and you had, let's say that environment with, let's say the hard side and a little bit more, let's say the, the other side that you could also go into and you had that choice. And when you grow up in an environment where you're, let's say your parents are in criminality also, then that's a different ballgame because that's your example, right? I had friends like that, you know, like friends, parent, who the parents were drug dealers who that's what they did for a living to feed the kid. Mm -hmm. So the kids, you know, he's absorbing that information from a different perspective. His right and wrong is different because, you know, his mom's committing crimes so they can live. Yeah. You know, so it's a it's a it's a it's a different type of perspective. Uh for me, my dad died when I was two and my mom sent me to uh dancing school. Uh, so I learned tap, jazz, ballet, modern, eight, nine years. And yeah. then once they found out in the hood that I was dancing, I started getting bullied. That's when I stopped dancing and became getting bullied because I was overweight. Ah, wow. So, you, so first you get bullying because of the dancing, then you stop well, moving. Together, once they find out I stopped dancing and then I got fat because that dancing was only keeping the weight off of me. That's the only thing I knew what, how to do. And then that's how the bullying started for me. Ah. Yeah, because what I've heard you say, uh, I, I probably found a really old article of you. I don't know how old it is on bodybuilding.com, one of the sites that I'm a, a former bodybuilder myself. So in bodybuilding.com, yep. yeah, yeah, one of the older ones. And 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 what a lot of people don't know is I was a bodybuilder in the in the past. So I was always on bodybuilding.com. So finding now this interview with you was uh, was really cool. Find you there, and you say okay. At a certain point, you you got that that weight, and also you shared that you uh, 
had a slow metabolism also until the day of today. If I see where you are right now, Mark, like you're 51, uh, the things you do, I follow you on Instagram is amazing because you're, you're ripped, you're muscular, but you had that transition phase, right? Stopping with the dancing, gaining that weight, getting bullied again. What was for you in a way really the trigger from, okay, I'm now overweight, I'm being bullied because of stop of dancing and the weight gain. What was, let's say, the transition for you? Yeah, transition for me, I just realized that I was not going to survive in that environment that I was in. I was Something was going to happen to me. Physically, I was worried about myself. I couldn't protect myself. I couldn't get any girls. I was getting teased. You know, I'm a teenager. So, and uh, like I said, you know, just two years before that, I had a dancer's body. Uh-huh. You know, I could backflip. I had a, you know, it just, and that's the key thing. I had a reference point. Like I always had... I knew even at my fattest what I could be like because mm. I w- I'd been there before. I was a, a disciplined artist, you know, for eight, nine, ten years. So I, I ha- always had that comparative aspect. That's why it's so important that we uh, go back and outreach with kids and, you know, at least show them because when you outreach, and that's why it's so important to me now, and kids see me, mm-hmm. they now have a reference point. Damn, that guy lived in the hood too. Yeah. He did it. Now I can do it, but if you don't have a reference point, then you're asking somebody to do something that they've never done before. It's kind of hard to make that transition. So me, uh, I, I, uh, I ran past the military recruiter and I said, shit, well, I can get in shape if I join the military <laughs> and I yeah. financial burden off of my, uh, off of my mom. Yeah. I said, my dad died when I was two. I knew I was too fat for the Marines. I knew I was too fat for the army. So it was between the air force and the Navy. The Navy recruiter said, yo, they got McDonald's on the aircraft carrier, and I joined the Navy. <laughs> Wonderful. That was the transition point for me. You know, the, the guy tricked me and told me there's McDonald's on the, in the Navy, on the aircraft carrier. There, there are none. But <laughs> joined the Navy, get in shape, and that changed my life. Yeah. And, and thank you for saying that, because that triggers me. You say it changed my life. Of course, the physical part probably, let's say, has changed uh, over over there. But then you grew up in the hood, then you go into the Navy, probably a completely different world than where you grew up. How did that shape you as a human being, Mark? A completely different world, but very much the same hmm. at the same time. And I always start off uh, these interviews and these questions by saying, you know, when I went to the Navy and I just barely made it through boot camp because I was so out of shape. I was last on every run, couldn't do 10 push-ups, but wouldn't quit. So they just kept advancing me and I just wouldn't quit. Yeah. Now, I don't think I passed one actual... (laughs) 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 Yeah, I don't think I passed one time. But, um, you know, I wouldn't quit. They sent me to um, my school, you know, because at Meridian, Mississippi. On this base, we could not leave the base because of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. They said, if you're black and you leave the base, you're on your own. We can't protect you. Wow. Now, could you imagine? This is 1988. Yeah. I'm in the military protecting the country, and they can't even afford my protection leaving the base wow. in the United States. So I just want to frame, you know, what was going on at the same time. Now, while that's happening, I'm, I'm getting in shape. I'm actually discovering sports for the first time because, I, you know, I'm actually able to play and try without being under that pressure. You know, I'm, uh, I'm discovering, I'm all of 17 when I join, I'm, I'm dating, I'm discovering women, yeah. in charge of uh, million dollar equipment, I'm in charge of men, I'm working with grown men. So it was a really a growth and empowerment uh, experience for me. You know, I don't think there's any, the only um, transition into manhood in the hood is the gangs. Yeah. 
you know, there's no other ritual than going into a gang. But, you know, here I was in the military going through that transition period from boy to man, you know, in, in the military. And, and that's what it was for me, a, a transitional period. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up in the Persian Gulf War a year and a half later as I was in there. Wow. So you also really yeah. have been in those war situations. And I think what, what really, let's say, started your fitness journey and from a personal development uh, perspective, that's really interesting too, because you say, hey, I'm transitioning from a boy into a man and I'm uh, surrounded by adults and, and men that have grown themselves already to a certain point. And then I think if I'm correct, you also met up with Navy SEALs that helped you to get in shape. Can you elaborate a little bit more ar around that? Uh, not SEALs, but uh, elite level athletes in there okay. who were like, hey man, you know, I would ask, I said, dude, I just want to see my feet in the shower. Can I train? with you guys <laughs> and uh, they felt sorry enough and uh, some good people just mentored me and, and that's been uh, the key throughout my career was just people saw that I had the motivation I wanted better and then they were like hey let me put some energy into this kid because I can see that he's hungry for, for progress so you know I trained with these guys and you know different people for different things I had one guy who was my cardio expert you know one guy who was my weightlifting expert you know within a year and a half I was 250 pounds with a 29 inch waist 22-inch arms and uh, life-changing, life-changing experience, man. But still a little head small like Beetlejuice. The head was the same size, so <laughs> it was quite funny. that big with the same size head. But because I was so overweight, I was overcompensating. So every time I looked in the mirror, I was still a skinny kid, yeah, skinny fat kid. So I kept on going. So I tried to get as big as possible. <laughs> ah, and thank you for, for bringing that in because that's an honesty that I don't see a lot of men. And like what I said, I was a bodybuilder in the past too. And then you go out with other, other bodybuilders. And I once started this conversation. I'm really curious how you look at it. You say, hey, your body is getting bigger in a way you're creating strength, physical strength on the outside, but the mind is still a little bit lagging and go behind, right? Then the, um, the physique is so big, people don't talk to you. Exactly. So you don't get to develop, you don't have the same interactions of a person of normal size would. People are afraid to tell you something. Some people won't say anything to you at all because you look so aggressive. So at the same time as I was developing so much physically, I wasn't getting the same personal development until really I came down into more of an approachable size years and years and years later. Mm -hmm. I was able to interact with people on a different level, you know? So in a way, what I hear you say, your physique in a way became a boundary to really yeah, get to know you, the yeah, more deeper side of you, right? Prince mechanism, like stay away from me or respect me. You know, I'm scared, so I'm projecting that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I think that's that's what, not what a lot of people saying when you see like the average bodybuilder one, because I dropped this same question in a group, I think of 20 bodybuilders. And I readily said to them, let's be honest, guy, because I was one of them. I said, aren't we all insecure as fuck? Because we just like, we make ourselves so big physically, but we're trying to protect our fragile inside, the little boy in this case inside of us, right? Well, you know, the fitness industry itself, there are a lot, lot of damaged uh, people in the fitness industry itself. And uh, that's what's very interesting. It's kind of like a secret. Exactly. A lot of people don't know, but you know, uh, a good majority of the women who are in the fitness industry have eating disorders. Exactly. Like if you ask, you know, I mean, people don't talk about it, but if you ask most fitness women, they're like, yeah, that's true. I do know a lot of women who have eating disorder or have had an eating disorder. You know, they're in the fitness industry to get some type of healing 
or to go the opposite way of what their inclination is, you know? So there's a lot of damaged people in there and, um, which is okay because, you know, you're getting some type of healing, you're finding a positive Absolutely. outlet, but also good to do the analysis and do the mental work so you can grow at the same, uh, cor- uh, same correlation, same speed as your body, you know? Yeah, and, and let's be honest with each other. It's not easy, but at the same time, it's easier to get into shape than mentally develop, right? That's like, I can do a workout program with you, eat the right things, and I get into shape. But mentally get into a shape is is a much more refined and a complex thing compared and a, to... And a lifetime thing, because you're always peeling back layers, you know? Exactly. It never stops. And in a way, I sometimes say we wear those masks, right? As, especially when we grew up. But also you work a lot with celebrities, I think, and you know that better than I am. Like I mostly work with, let's say, CEOs and those, but we all wear our masks. And the moment we can right. let go of those masks, we can save a, literally a, a huge amount of energy because we don't have to play anymore. We can just be who we are. Right. So let's go back to the, let's say, motivation or hunger that you mentioned, because words are always triggering, Mark. So if you look back at that time, how would you describe motivation? Because you see a lot of your clients. And I think the biggest problem, I had a personal training studio also myself years ago. I think the biggest problem is they come to you and in a way they want to buy with you, purchase motivation. But it is something that is inside of us. How would you describe motivation? What is motivation? Motivation is that, and I think it's different for everybody else, but it's that thing inside of you that pushes you to go to the next level. Uh, it's that voice inside of you that tells you you can keep going on. And uh, I think everybody has it. It's just some people listen to it and some people don't. Some people are scared to listen to it. Some people are scared of their own potential. People, some, some clients are scared of actually how good a shape they could get into or how good they can look mm-hmm. because that will force them to work out harder than what they want to. So then they make the whole experience uh, sabotage and don't have to actually live up to their own expectations and they find a reason or they suddenly get injured. They attract the injury to themselves or they attract some type of incident. So yeah, it's uh, it's always there, but how we listen to it and how we perceive it and how we look at it. If we look at it as a stressful thing, uh, it's going to burden us with more because that's what most people do. Okay, I'm motivated. Now I have to do more. Exactly. You know, as opposed you using that motivation is going to free you. It's how you use that motivation and how you pursue your wellness. If you pursue it in its totality, it's supposed to alleviate things for you. If you pursue it in a superficial pursuit, you know all this stuff. It's going gonna, it's gonna to backfire for you because then you're not working on your other uh, uh, pillars of wellness. You don't have the balance to have a good life. Exactly. So in a way, what I hear you say, Mark, is that if I would come to you only to get really ripped and into shape because then all the ladies are looking at me, then it's an right. external validation and that will never work on the long run. Probably in the, in the short run, it will work. Now I have clients who, who go and I, and I tell them this and they go, listen, I don't care. I just want to look like D'Angelo. I just want to look like Beyonce. Go ahead and do it. And, you know, I do it and oftentimes they'll come back later and go, you know what? I understand what you were saying. You know, I didn't incorporate it into a lifestyle, you know, I ended up gaining that weight back. You know, I wasn't happy when I was doing it. It was drudgery, you know, and, and then they learned the lesson. But, you know, but then again, I have clients for campaigns. Uh, they have to wear a dress for a con film festival, quarter million dollars on the line. Yeah. They have to get dressed by a certain time. <laughs> go. You know, I have those clients as well. But I try to teach them in a way where... Uh, they they realize that uh, it's, it's it's something that's supposed to be sustainable. Yeah, and it's supposed to make you more money. It's supposed to make you happier. It's supposed to aid the environment. It's supposed to make you socially well. 
It's supposed to make your spirit well. So you're, you're, you're talking about all the facets. So then when it comes to motivation, you're like, man, this thing does so many things for me in so many ways. How can I not do it? It's part of my business plan. Exactly. And then that's full circle. You have it in you. You know, it's like, man, this helps me do everything that I do better because this is the vessel that houses my spirit. So I just need to take care of that eating right, sleeping right, meditation, visualization, breathing right. Right. I know you're big on the breath. <laughs> yeah. So all, all of these things, right. You need to do in order to be well, so you can go out there and affect change, you know, and you are, my goal is to be able to help people and empower people by giving them all the pillars so they can go affect change. And that's what keeps me motivated now. Yeah. And would you agree and just checking with you and also the, the clientele you work with and you say, external validation won't work in a sustainable way. Yeah, you can have a quick fix, but in mm -hmm. a way, everything comes with, with a gain, everything comes with a price. Does it have to do a lot with how they perceive themselves, how they see themselves? Because if I look at you and I follow you on Instagram, I see you working out, I think at three, four at night sometimes, really like at uh, super interesting times. But I can imagine you're Mark Jenkins, celebrity trainer, literally on your website. So your identity is probably tied into that. How much is, let's say, how they see themselves? Has that a big influence on the results they're getting with you or not? Yeah, I think uh, how you see yourself definitely influences uh, the amount of how quickly you can get the results or how not quickly you get the results. I mean, you know, I have a lot of clients where they haven't heard anybody tell them no in 15 years. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine 20 years, everybody around them? Yes, yes. Laughing at your jokes that are not funny. <laughs> your dumb ideas, you know? So oftentimes it's, a, it's an awakening and I have to explain to them. I said, look, man, you know, This is probably something you haven't had as an honest relationship with somebody in years. Forget about the training. Let's just, you know, get to vibe with each other and, and just have an honest experience and see where that goes. And then if I can connect with them on that level, I can get the transformation done in the shortest amount of time. Mm, yeah. Then I have a different type of connection other than them getting to look good. So for me, whether or not they have a superficial pursuit or not, I have to establish that connection in order to get them to execute. Yeah. So already usually uh, a multimillionaire or billionaire. So money's not the motivation for them. No. <laughs> <They don't. laughs> See what I'm saying? So I have to connect on a different level. So I'm like, listen, let's just try to have an honest experience. Let's try to get you somewhere where you have to use something other than what you have, what you've used before to accomplish this task. So you have to reach into something inside of yourself to get this done. So you can have a self-realization experience. Let's turn it into that. And then that's how you really, and that's the exciting thing about fitness is, the, is that journey, not the superficial journey. So you always want to get people to, you know, to understand that part of it. Yeah. And I'm so on the same page with you, uh, Mark, because like you work mostly with celebrities. Most of my clientele is uh, CEOs and those kinds uh, of people. Money is never the problem. Mo money is not the thing. Right, But if right. what you say, if, if you're used, like everybody's always saying yes to you and you say, hey, I come in and that's we do exactly the same thing. I say, okay, when we come in, a yes could be an option. But if it's a no, I will share that with you too. And I will be in your face. Then already both of us are creating a pattern interrupt, right? They have that world and you, in a way, break that bubble to get other behavior in and leverage that behavior, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I can imagine that if you're used, depending on the amount of time that everybody is saying yes to them, that at the beginning, it could be a hard cookie uh, to crack or not. I get fired all the time. <laughs> all the time. 
So you're the king of being fired and then they probably want you back because you delivered the results. All the time, all the time. <laughs> How was that the first time? Just being really honest with each other because hey, we're still men, but at the same time, that little boy is inside of you. Get fired the first time when you start to work with them. How was that experience for you? I said, are you firing me? Because I didn't understand what happened, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I wasn't it. I'm not going to mention the artist because I might, you know, she might, she might get offended. Yeah, no, But, uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> are you firing me? Female artist, very big, very nice. Yeah. And she's like, she's like, baby, you and I, we don't have the same goals. We just don't have the same goals. <laughs> you know, and that was after one session. And I was like, man, what did I do? I guess the session was too intense or she saw where it was going or the vibe wasn't right, whatever. And uh, she fired me very nice. But the kindest find it firing I've ever had. But yeah, that was the first one. Yeah, it was so nice she did it. She did it so nicely. I didn't understand what was happening. I said, wait a minute. Because it was a lot of compliments. I said, are you firing me? So yeah. funny. In the Trump, um, Trump International. How many years ago was that? Golly, that was Trump International yeah. Hotel Central Park, uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Interesting. Wow. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I told you at the beginning, I'm really curious about what happens in your mind then, uh, Mark. Like, did you change your approach, let's say, with onboarding your, let's say, clients? Because the first time that happens, you're probably really surprised because you come in there with already expertise you have, you're getting fired. And probably at a certain point, you also start to know the pattern with those people. How did you, let's say, tackle that for yourself? Probably a different approach that you're using now. No, I don't think I changed because after that, I've been fired so many times after that. I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some more... Um, It, that incentivized me. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go harder. I, <laughs> I probably, after that, I probably, okay, th this is good because I'm getting them to go somewhere. I'm getting them outside of the comfort zone. Mm. So I probably went, that probably encouraged me more than anything. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the king of being fired. <laughs> so probably this is a question you get a lot. How did you, in a way, enter like that world of working with celebrities? Was there a special, let's say, event that, that propelled you in, in, a, in a certain way? The gym that I was going to, uh, right in the middle of it, right in the middle of uh, ESPN, Disney, Motown mm. Records was this gym. Mm. And I was uh, working in this gym and all of these executives would come in there and I would ask them, you know, how can I start a business? How can I start a personal training business? How would you do it? You know, and um, I would train them for free. Ah. And uh, they would give me a free lunch and I would take notes about all of this stuff. And then um, I had to move into the projects because I was training everybody for free and personal training didn't pay. Mm -hmm. And that took me, um, that took maybe seven or eight years of living in the projects uh, to reach a tipping point from training all these influencers. But back then they weren't called influencers. They were just people who had connections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that person's connected, man. Or I see somebody with a nice handbag. I figured, okay, there must be an executive coming down from one of these buildings. Stuff I learned in the military, you know, reconnaissance. And I'd offer them a free job with a, a free session if they look interesting. I'd ask what they did. And then I'd ask, how can I apply that to what my goals are? And they would, again, mentor me and take the time out to tell me what to do. And uh, it took me seven or eight years to implement a lot of those plans because I had no money. So I would have to train other people for free to be able to get the resources. Like they would tell me I need professional pictures, but I didn't have any money. So I have to train a photographer for free. Mm. Then I have to train a publicist for free to get it placed. You know, so I'd have projects like that, that, that would take years to manifest. You know, I trained Mary's, uh, Mary J. Blige's, I trained her barber. Her barber got me 
her record executive, her A&R, who picked the records for her. And then yeah. three years later, I was able to get married. So that one campaign took me five or six years to manifest. And I would have several campaigns going on like that at the same time. Yeah. And that's created the tipping point. But again, this is stuff that I learned how to do in the military. And I left because, you know, at that time, although I was only 21 when I got out and I started probably training people at 22, 23, I had already been in war. I had been in war before I joined the military. You see war in Brooklyn. <laughs> I, had, I had got myself in shape. So I was uh, fully empowered, although I was very young. I had yeah. seen a lot. But I knew how to, put, how to put it together. And, um, you know, I was in charge of, again, million-dollar equipment and, and a good amount of people before I got out. You know, I had responsibilities and leadership, and I saw leaders in the military. Mm. So when I saw that, that attribute in someone else in the civilian world, I was like, hey, man, how did you do it? Yeah. Whether it was male or female, and it didn't matter what genre they were in. And that's how I was able to uh, get enough information. So when my opportunity came, I was able to fully exploit it and get myself out of projects and start touring with the celebrities. And that took me, uh, that was from 93 to 2000. That took me seven, eight years to do that. Yeah, thank you for saying because I, I was writing a thing down. In a way, you have an interesting formula, Mark. And the formula that I've written down and just to check in with you, in a way, One thing we spoke about it, that drive and motivation, that's the number one thing that, that, that fire, in a way you had a choice in your childhood, like what we already went over. You surrounded yourself in the army and the Navy, but also even already at home with the right people. And the people that would bring you the expertise in, in, in the Navy to uh, learn you everything about, about health. And then when you came out of it, You surrounded yourself, observed, and you surrounded yourself with people that would leverage you to the next level, let's, let's say the executives. And the, the other thing is, the last part of the equation is that what I hear you say is you were willing to be patient and also be the student so that you would be willing to learn and to listen to what they need so that you would give back to them and they would, let's say, bring you up to the next right. level. So that, yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a magic formula because I don't know how it's in the, like I'm the left the personal training world for a long time now, but I'm now more into the personal development, high performance world. Right. People do a course for nine or 10 days and they say, hey, I'm a high performance trainer. They go across the border with their feet one time and they're an international trainer. And what mm -hmm. I hear you say, hey, I, I was willing to work for eight years in projects, almost making nothing but willing to learn, connect with the right people. You know, get the 10,000 hours in to get some actual mastery before uh, professing uh, you're a master. That's something that doesn't happen these days. You know, just people just don't have the time in, you know, you can't, you don't have the experience. Now, thank you for bringing that in because in a way, everybody wants a shortcut. Probably in their health, they want a shortcut with you. And there are, of course, always techniques but nothing can beat time. Like I can work with you for 10 weeks, probably get into a relatively good shape, but to do it sustainable, let's say for the upcoming 10, 20 years, yeah. I probably need to work for, with you for several years, right? Yeah, to get, well, you need to be working. You not necessarily need to be working with me. Exactly. But you need to, need to be working because, uh, you know, a lot of times I don't, I don't believe in training people for client retention. Mm. I think once I get them to a certain level, they're in shape enough that they can continue their journey. So they're not dependent on me. I'm very much against that. The fitness system today is about giving you just enough so that you can keep buying next session. So you keep it for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and the person depend on you for their health and wellness. So I'm very much against that model. I want to transform you and educate you, give you the tools, and then say, hey, now, now you're in shape. You look great. What are we going to do? Is it Muay Thai? Is it Jiu-Jitsu? 
Is it cycling? What activity are you going to do so that your fitness has some meaning now? So now we have to train for something. So let's experiment. Why don't you take the year off, you know, train with some different people, find out what activity you like, and, and let's revisit. You know, now you know how to diet. You know how to keep your body fat within parameters. You know how to take care of your muscular imbalances so you don't want to get injured. Now it's time for you to go have some fun. You have the tendon, ligament strength, and bone density from the training we did. You know, now now give it some purpose and some meaning, you know? And uh, that's how you really develop someone to make their wellness sustainable, you know? So, so in a way, what I hear you say, and we're on the same mission, you want to educate people, but also empower them at the same time that they couldn't do it independently without you in the shortest amount of time. Your body is too, too much of an important thing for someone else to be responsible for it. I'm more than happy to assist you. Exactly. And teach what I know and give you my 30 years of experience, you know, uh, at me doing it, but it's too valuable of a thing for me to be responsible. Yeah, because they are responsible for their own life, right? If you would come into, right. let's say, a program with me, I would always say, are you willing to take responsibility for your own life? And otherwise I won't say, I won't work with you because right. we can't change people's lives, right? They need right. to change their own right. lives. Yeah, beautiful. So let's let's go back to where you are right now. You're 51, uh, what I, if I... Uh, Yeah, I'm 51. I'm looking to uh, get into the cage, the octagon for some MMA within the next year or two. Wow. My, uh, my jiu-jitsu is shitty, so <laughs> I want at least I want at least have a, a a chance to win. Yeah. So I need at least about a year or two more jiu-jitsu, and then, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, it's just about, and the winning is not even a big deal for me. I just want to have an honest experience with someone else in the ring, train for it, and then uh, see where I'm at fitness-wise, break a new barrier, you know? So uh, the victory is me just getting in shape to be able to go in there and do it. If I get a victory, that's even better. That'd be great. But the whole thing is the experience. It's a journey for me. So I'm enjoying, I mean, uh, I feel like right now I have enough wisdom and conditioning. I still haven't gave up on getting better as an athlete. So I'm pretty, I'm more, I'm more formidable than I ever was. So I want to try some type of athletic uh, sport. I don't know what it is before I get too old. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is still working right now. So I want to give something a shot. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So in a way, what I hear you say, you focus much more. And I think that's something that you probably see with your clients also. At least I see it with mine is that most of them are really focused on the end goal. But the real goal is to be found into the process, right? Moving towards that that goal. It's, and the uh, emotional, the growth and development from being a student to a, to a rigorous discipline. Absolutely. You know, the, that... That benefit is invaluable. You know, I try to put myself in that situation over and over again because every time I come out of it, I come out of it differently. You know, I have to look myself in the mirror and become a different person or see if I'm really that person I say I am. You know? <laughs> Fantastic. So a lot of people probably around their 30th, 40th, they say, yeah, like I've, I've passed my prime. When I look at you, I see, no, you're probably more in a prime than the average 20-year-old. So... What what is the let's say the one mindset uh, people could help to change that uh, yeah that way of like okay I'm tipping past this point because you're really in 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 good shape Mark so compliments to that um, what is your mindset ar around uh, yeah your own body right now you, you know I never thought of it you know my manager was like you know maybe last year year before last they were like Mark you know you need to start posting fit over 40 fit over 50 for your hashtags. I never thought of it. I just was the athlete trying to get better. It never occurred to me that that was even a marketing point. Like I never really started talking about it until this year <laughs> or last year, you know, and I'm 51. So when I look at other athletes, I never go, okay, that person's fast. You know, if I was 35 or 25, 
I would take them out. I'm saying, shit, I, I want to run as fast as that person. Well, I want to get faster. Than that. I never, I never realized it, you know. And I think that's one thing that um that keeps me uh, there is that I don't, I don't self-impose limitations. If I feel myself getting slower or getting weaker, that's one thing. But I don't need to think it to make it happen that much faster. So I don't, uh, I don't look at it that way. You know, I'm just looking at it like I'm having fun. A lot of times I'm doing jujitsu or I'm sparring with somebody. And they'll find out I'm 51 and they're 25 years old. They're like, oh my God, that's incredible. How did you do it? You know, and I'm like, man, I really don't think about it. I'm just uh, having fun. But I've been training uh, as well, you know, even before the weight training, you know, I was ballet. Mm-hmm. I was always in a discipline from very young. Yeah. And I think that really factors into it. I was always in some type of discipline, tap dancing, gymnastics. So, you know, I am used to from, you know, nine, eight, nine years old very hard training <laughs> so mentally from very from different coaches so i think that also factors in i'm able to learn from anybody and i think as you get older a lot of times it gets harder for people to learn from people who are younger than them and it gets harder for them to learn because they get jaded by their own experiences absolutely you know? but all of my coaches are in better shape than me <laughs> <laughs> most of the people work out with and kick my ass are younger than me but that keeps me getting better And I don't mind, you know? So you work in most of the times when, in a way, when you're in that student role, you work with people again that are in better shape, that are better skilled into a certain man. Come on, Mr. Hollywood. I'm super famous. <laughs> Run, let's go. You know what I mean? So I'm always putting myself in that position because it's very easy. Uh, it would be very easy for me to um, to uh, coast, you know, because your Instagram, you only have to post one set Absolutely. or one exercise. You have to post one rep. You don't have to post. You really don't have to run eight miles to say you did eight miles. You really don't have to squat 400 pounds to say you did it. You know, it's a, it'd be very easy for me to coast right now. So I'm always keeping it honest with myself. And for me, I always do interviews. I said the day that I, I always say I'm operative, not speculative. I'm not speculating on how to get optimal performance. I'm performing as an elite level athlete, teaching people my training secret. Once I become speculative, it might be time for me to get into a different career. <laughs> I always say that. I always say so, you know, it all, and, and that's how I'm able because I'm still hungry. The clients feel that hunger and then they execute based on, man, he's really the real deal giving it to me. So I never have those problems that other trainers have motivating their clients because they're not coming from a place of authenticity. Yeah. You just walk, you talk. and Basically. Yeah. So so I got my pen again and what I really love, and that's my passion in a way, decoding what you're doing, mm-hmm. Mark. So what I hear you say, we spoke about those ages. You say, I don't do any boxes. There is no box. You're just Mark. What I really love, you say, I'm Mark the athlete. And that's something I think what a lot of people miss. They They buy new running shoes and they think they are a runner. No, you say, I'm right. Mark, I'm an athlete and I have fun in what I do. I focus on the process and I work with people that are better than me. And the whole sauce around it is that you from a young age on always worked with discipline. So what is for you, for people that sometimes come to you, probably they say, I don't have any discipline. How, what would you be your biggest advice to develop that? Oh, I always tell them you got to balance that pleasure with some pain, man. You got to balance it. <laughs> You're going to enjoy your pleasure. You're going to enjoy your indulgence so much more. If you get on this track and run till you throw up, you're going to feel so much better. You're going to feel less guilt <laughs> when you have it. You're going to enjoy, you don't have any balance. So you're not even appreciating your indulgence because you don't have anything to juxtapose to it. Yeah. And they're like, man, you know, you're right. So, you know, it's all about balance, man. It's okay to have fun. You know, and for me, it's not people that say, Mark, you're always dieting. You're always posting. It's not a pressure thing for me. I don't get up feeling like, oh my God, I have to get on the gram and be in shape and I'm 51 years old. It's like, man, 
how far can I take this? I see a striation on my butt. Can I get my whole ass right at 51? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I go see if I can do it. You know what I mean? So I'm having fun. Or can I go, can I, can I actually compete with a 25 year old martial artist who's been doing it, you know, eight to 10 years. Can I actually uh, rely on my conditioning and training experience and all the other things I know, as well as the art, you know, it's the challenge and, and, and making it fun for myself at the same time. That's what, that's what, it's, that's what life's supposed to be about. And I just coach people like that. I said, man, if your job is not giving you that same type of fulfillment that I'm getting, it's hard to be good at it. So what I also hear you say, Mark, is that you have a different relationship with discomfort. And that's something we both teach. It's like, okay, yeah, there is discomfort. And of course, on the other side is comfort. But I think the difference that makes a difference with you is you see it as fun. So you've created a different relationship. Like, okay, I have that ass with the 3A. Let's see how I can, f- in a fun way, play with it. Not for the not for the Instagram. That's an, um, yeah, probably as a business owner, a nice trade-off. But it's all because you're intrinsic motivation to experiment, explore, and have fun at the same time and just accept that there will be discomfort along the way, right? Yeah, it's association. I don't associate the discomfort with... I don't associate pain with something negative. No, no. Right. Thank you. The whole thing, I associate it with benefits. If I know I'm getting myself to a certain zone where I feel pain at, as long as I've been doing it, I said, man, you're working pretty good for 51. Thank you know, you. and I take that take that energy and put that into your business, take that and put it into your relationships, take that and put it into your, uh, your giving back to the community. You know what I mean? I try to use the one area that I have expertise in to positively affect the other areas that I'm not so good at. Exactly. Yeah. And if you change that relationship with, with discomfort, with pain, then really you can change, right? I spoke a little bit at the beginning, like I, I take people all over the world, let them undress and climb mountains only in shorts. And it's ar- extreme conditions. But people nowadays at the same time, we're also looking for that discomfort. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It, it will, the, the mud masters, all those kinds of things, the Viking runs, the ice baths are getting popular. Yeah. I think people are looking for authentic experiences, although they don't even know. Exactly. You know, it's just cracks them to the, those type of things. They don't even know what it is. They can't put a they can't put a phrase on it or a word on it or a name to it. But they know that in this experience they might find something different in themselves. And they want to have the experience now, you know. So one of the reasons why I got so much into um motorcycling. Yeah. You know, I've been motorcycles for the last 30 years and uh one of the reasons that it's it's so fascinating to me is because it's all about your fear overcoming your fear mechanism. You know, you have a you have the bike you got to make a left turn sharp. If you don't make the left turn sharp enough, you're going to go off the road. But guess what? To make a left turn sharp, you have to turn the steering wheel to the right. You have to counter steer. Yeah. So it goes against your thinking. And you're thinking, man, if I don't turn it to the left, it's going to fall over. So all your fear mechanisms are telling you that you can't make it. Slow down, turn the hand of body the other way, and you have to overcome that and actually lean into the turn and counter steer. And that I find, no matter how many times I do it, is so fascinating to me because I still get that same fear response I have to overcome to complete the turns, you know? So motorcycling is something that, for me, it always helped me. And then as I'm doing that, I'm thinking about my other problems in life. So, you know, you're, you're running out of the turn, man. You're not, you're not going into the turn properly. You're, you're getting scared before you go into it. Your body's too tight. I'm using those techniques in other parts of my life, but uh, that's how I get benefit with training. It's almost a meditation that I come out of that I'm able to remember bits and pieces to apply to other areas of my uh, of my life. 
Absolutely. And in a way, it's also surrendering right into that fear instead of trying to control that fear. Because if you control it, you can't control fear. You work with it. it to your body, then you transfer it to the bike and then the bike starts wobbling and then it gets bad. You know, you have to, it's, it's fascinating with the motorcycle. Do, do you still feel the same? Because I know like when I do a physical workout, for me, a physical workout is most of the, most of the time still a mental training. How, how do you perceive when you go into a physical workout? Is that for you mostly a mental training because you have to deal with like, will I put the weight down or yeah, will I push through? How is that in your internal world? I'm doing, if I'm doing distance running, yeah. uh, it's much mental because you can keep going and just hurts, you know, just the lactic acid and burning, you know, some, it all, all depends on what I'm doing. If I, if I'm getting taught a technique, you know, uh, it might be physically harder for me to keep up because I'm thinking so much, you know, I'm not breathing right. You know, it all depends on what I'm doing, you know, yeah. but the whole thing that the, the uh, common denominator is, um, is staying calm and not letting the fear Sometimes the fear of you getting out of breath will have you breathing faster than how you actually need to breathe. Absolutely. You know, you see, you see what you're going to do. You see the uphill. Before you even get to the uphill, you're hyperventilating because you're thinking about the hill is going to take so much oxygen. <laughs> but if you would just it calmly and enjoy running up the hill, you would use half the oxygen. Yeah. So in, in a way, you, you've developed the skill also to influence your state of being, Mark, by becoming really aware of what internally is going on, change your breathing, change your body to, in a way, increase your performance. Well, well you know, also, I've been able, throughout these years, I've been able to train a lot of mind experts, a lot of top-level people, and I would ask them, how do you do it? They would go, oh, I use the Jorge Silva mind control method. I program myself when I put my two fingers together that I can speak to an audience calmly. I have no, and I'm training them. Really? How do you do that? Who's that? <laughs> you know, take notes. So, you know, from the years of getting exposed to high performance CEOs as well mm-hmm. as our artists, you know, uh, they would have books and seminars and things that I would go to and read about us. I learned about Hawk was through one of my clients. Uh, actually, I trained one of Tony Robbins executive assistants. He was like 60 something years old. You know, I didn't even know she was Tony Robbins' um, executive assistant. I was just like, man, I said, you're a pretty tough old lady, man. I said, I'm training you hard as hell. You just, you just laughing, man. You're just going through the workout with a smile on your face. She goes, oh, yeah. You know, I walked over fire when I was 63, and I'm 66 now with Tony Robbins. And I was like, really? You walked over fire? <laughs> and she's telling me her story, how she was in the audience, um, and her life was all dejected, and she spoke to Tony, and he hired her on the spot. She became the assistant and walked on fire, and how her life changed. And You know, it's so motivational for me speaking to different people in different areas of life and hearing their stories. Yeah. You know, and there are a lot of knowledge and wisdom from, from the clients. So I always say it's just as, as much as I teach is a, as much as I get from the clients and give. So I'm more than happy to any little bit of information that I have pass it on to anybody else, you know? So, you know, real fascinating stories. I used to train uh, Johnny Cochran, you know him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny Cochran. And I was like, Johnny, how did you do it, man? He goes, man, Mark, he, he told me, he said, you're not even working hard, man. You know, you're not even working hard. He goes, you know, I used to sweep the floors where I went to college for law school. And every day, the white people used to throw all the garbage on the floors because they know I had to sweep up. And I had to finish my classes every day in law school. You don't even know real racism right now. You have no reason not to be successful. You got people like that telling you that, then you have to hold yourself to a different standard. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in a way, your internal world 
becomes more richer because of all the interaction you have with so many, right. let's say, exactly. interesting people. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. You, you got to see it. You got to see somebody else. It's helpful. Some people have it all the way inside of them, like maybe a Jordan or somebody, but they just like, you know, they, they got the glow. <laughs> yeah. But most people have to see somebody else do it to aspire to it, to realize there's no limitations. But there, are, there really are no limits, guys. Absolutely. And it's also being what you're saying, one of the, let's say, of the formulas I, I uh, constructed with talking with you today is also like being that student and being will, willing to listen because most people just want to talk, want to impress. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably with the connections you have, everybody wants to, let's say, try to get in uh, something like that. But if you're really willing to listen, you start to see the patterns, right? The patterns that that really makes the difference. Like you spoke spoke about Tony Robbins. Uh, I've learned and mentor or studied with the mentor of Tony Robbins. And if you see the guy, he's now 84, but he's walking on stage if you're like 60, right? <laughs> he was 84. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, you you see that there is a common denominator between all of those people. And, and you tapped it in today, also talking about fun, like Wim of the Iceman that I work closely with. <laughs> the guy is all, he's always fun. If you would like, if, if you would join me, he's like, uh, let's play tag outside. You just undress yourself and we're going to go outside. That having that fun is a crucial factor and that you take it on is fantastic. Yeah. Let's dive a little bit, if it's okay with you, into your private life because you're also uh, a father, Mark, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a father, absolutely. Two kids? I have uh, two kids, 18, uh, 14. Yeah. And no, 15, just turned 15, 18, 15. Congratulations. So. What is, let's say, the biggest lesson you want to give to them? Let's say if they move out of the house or maybe already, like the 18 year, maybe already did. What is the biggest lesson that you want to give them? I try to tell them uh, that you can do stuff that makes money and that helps people at the same time. You don't have to. That's my biggest lesson to them. You don't have to join the adult world. Like, you know, although I'm 51, I don't feel like I've joined the adult world where, oh, I hate my job. And, Oh, I just have to do this shit to make money. And then, oh, I'm coming home to my life. I feel like I'm still creating. I, I still feel like, uh, you know, I have a lot to offer and give. And and, I, and that's what I told him. I said, you know, you can make money and it's important to make money because you need that for your wellness as well. You need your financial wellness. Absolutely. That's part of your pillars of wellness. It's not about living without having. But at the same time, you know, if, if you're miserable at something that you do over eight hours a day, every day, it's going to spill into your other areas of your life. So... Make sure that you're having fun with stuff that you do. My two children, one is 18, him, he's transgender. Yeah. Another one is uh, 15, daughter. Yeah. Both speak fluent Mandarin. Wow. And uh, one reason that we were, they're reading right, they've been in immersion from like very little. And I just wanted to give them the freedom with the language, since that's the next international business language, to be able to travel globally and to have something that they could always make a living doing. I said, okay, you have this mastery of language. You can pursue that and go to school. You can teach right now. You can live in, you can live abroad. So they have that freedom to explore. And I think that was very important to giving them because I'm, uh, I barely speak ah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'm really curious because if health was easy, Mark, then everybody would help, would be healthy in this world, right? Depending on a little right. bit what possibilities you have. But let's say you're living in a Western country There's so much available right now. Hey, you have your 60-day uh, the jump off program. You have the books around you, and, there, and that's only you. But there is so much out there. What would you think is first of all the biggest threshold? Why not everybody is healthy and happy? 
Well, you know, now it's like uh, in, in, the, in the United States, maybe different in Europe, but in the U.S., I think 72% of the people here are overweight. Mm. And I think it's over 50% of the people here are obese. Wow. I think it's high 40s or over 50% was the last statistic I heard uh, on NPR, as a matter of fact, driving yesterday. I was listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the statistic I heard yesterday. So here, people don't know what it is to be in shape. Mm-hmm. They don't have a reference point. Their parents are not in shape. They're not in shape. So when you talk to them about the advantages of being in shape, they don't even recognize the difference. They feel that they're normal. Mm-hmm. They feel the body fat levels are normal because they've been vibrating so low for probably all of their lives. Yeah. They don't feel the difference. And I think that's a, that's a big problem now. I mean, in the United States, uh, I think since 2020, the younger generation's life expectancy is lower than the older generation's. Wow. So the younger kids are not even living as long as uh, I'm going to live because mm-hmm. they're not taking care of their health from the very start. It's a dire situation or it will be a dire situation in the United States in, in a few generations. You know, so it's something that's that's becoming a, a very serious issue. So I think that's why getting in shape is hard. Two, um, Big Pharma, mm. you know, they put a lot of dollars into you taking a prescription drug as opposed to you making changes that could get you off prescription medication. Mm. So, you know, they incentivize the doctors to put you on prescription medication here. Yeah. Again, I don't know how, how that works in Europe. I don't think it's the same. No. Hopefully not. No, no, no. It's, it's not entirely the same, especially with the prescription drugs antidepressants. You know, here, the uh, prescription drug companies, their major investments are in fast food companies because they know the fast food companies get you sick, then they run you right to the prescription drug. It's an insidious uh-huh. culture that's really victimizes the people here, you know, because if they stop obesity, the medical industry collapses. Mm. There's industries that are built <laughs> on keeping people in the United States obese. The fast food industry, the, the corn and the farmers here produce, I think, 200% more corn than what the world needs. So what do they do? They make high fructose corn syrup yeah. and they put it in everything. So this is the reason why high fructose corn syrup is in everything, because of over-farming. So what happens if you don't have people eating that? Mm. What happens to the farmers? So it's system that I don't think people are aware of here. And if um, we became more aware that we would be used as marketing dollars, you know, we would be more conscious of our health and, uh, and, and wellness. Yeah. And, and and I can also imagine, Mark, and uh, I've been to the States uh, also, is that in Europe you have similar kind of problems. You spoke about normal. In a way, what is normal? And if I look at your own website, because it's popped up at the same time <laughs> when I see your photo, if I see you, that's health. That is, let's say, what I would like to see as normal. But there is a discrepancy between being uh, what you see in the States as being normal and also here in Europe. It's like normal is too high of body weight. The closing is like, okay, but you're normal. This is the size that everybody is having. They've normalized uh, a high level of body fat. And in general, in society, mediocrity is normalized. If you're mediocre, you'll have many more friends than someone who's successful in uh, hard charging. You know, and people need to realize that mediocrity is rewarded (laughs) in society because you're in a comfort zone. So that means people are comfortable around you. You're not making them feel inadequate because you're not over striving. Exactly. You don't look, (laughs) you don't look a hundred percent better than them. So they're more accepting with you as friends. So there's a, there's a comfort in mediocrity and you know, you as an individual, you have to make a decision. Like, who do you want to be? Like, you know, I, I just wanted to be somebody different. And uh, I, I was different two, three years ago until I got overweight. 
And then I was like, hey, man, let me join the military because I want to be that different person. I know what this road leads to for me. Excellent. I want to get to another road and see what, this, what happens with this path, you know? So, yeah, interesting enough, yeah. Uh, I'm pushing my brand to Europe, so we'll see how that goes there. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so in a way, what you said, one of the, the key changes for you personally, and but also a big advice that that everybody, I think, can take, is that it's about making a conscious decision. Would you like to be, let's say, stay... Uh, nah, I sometimes call it gray. Everybody's normal. Everybody's overweight. Or, and we're generalizing, of right. course. Or do you want to step out and just live your own life, uh, getting into shape? You don't need to be as ripped as you are, but at least like having a, a healthy, good life. Healthy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's up to you. You you have to make the choice. Either way, either choice is good. Absolutely. And that's what I want to tell people. Too. It's, not, it's not a bad choice. Exactly. You know, it's like, when I have clients who don't want to diet, I said, look, this is, let me tell you what, if you're fat and you're overeating and then you're getting upset because you're overeating and depressed, you're defeating the purpose of the eating. Exactly. If you're going to overeat, at least enjoy the shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't after you do it go, oh my God, I shouldn't eat it and you're beating up on yourself. Because that, that defeats the purpose. Either if you're going to do that, get in shape and be on a diet, do one or the other. But don't make yourself feel guilty and punish yourself Excellent. but not taking action. You know, if you're not taking action, enjoy it. If you're taking action, enjoy it. Because either way, you have to be happy with decisions that you make and you have to love yourself regardless. Yeah, I love that. And just whatever choice, there is no right or wrong, but every choice has a consequence, right? Yeah, that defeats the purpose of cheating if you're going to be all upset after that. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> I never do that when I cheat. No. <laughs> what, I love it. What is your favorite cheat, I'm Mark? With a stomach. I'm laying there with a stomach ache, but I'm so happy. I'm like, oh my God, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I'm really curious, what is your favorite cheat? Like if you come to Europe and I would buy you something, what is it that I need to buy you? My birthday is May 2nd, so I really don't cheat until I do it once a month. But every birthday I have an apple pie, mm -hmm with a whole pie with ice cream and whipped cream in the middle with another apple pie on top and i make pie sandwiches and i eat that shit until the next morning my stomach i'm like oh every year i do it my stomach but i'm smiling the whole day and my stomach's hurting the next day and it's great so that's my birthday celebration every year two apple pies probably a half gallon of vanilla ice cream and um probably a good gallon of whipped cream right in between <laughs> so you're more than happy to join me this birthday. We can get it together. Ah, man, I will join you for sure. <laughs> and then, then you promised me, Mark, that you will climb a mountain with me, no shirt, in extreme conditions once. I will train you for it, and you're welcome. I'll tell you a funny story. I am so bad in cold. I am so bad. I'm the worst. My cold tolerance. So they, they filmed me. They said, Mark, right, we're going to get you. You want to go to the, hyperbar the hyperbaric chamber? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get you on film, right? So I was like, yeah, okay, this is good, you know, because I know the benefits, you know? <laughs> Inflammation, lymphatic, immune system, you know, I'm like, okay, this is great. Yeah. We go to the place, and it's downtown LA. We go to the place, I take off my shit, I go in the room, and I felt like I was dying, like within <laughs> 10 seconds. I said, oh my God, my body's shutting down, and I really felt it. I said, I'm breaking down. And I said, miss, I'm not gonna do it. I said, yo, this shit is really cold in here, is it? She goes, you're not even in the room. This is the room to get you ready for the cold room. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I had a heart attack when she told me that. Uh. So then I, I I made myself do it because the cameras were there. <laughs> but I was already, like the, the preparation room had already broke me down. <laughs> so I made myself do it. Everybody's looking at me. I had to act macho. So you know, I sucked it up. I went into the room. I was so visibly 
messed up on the camera. They had to shut the shoot. They said, Mark, you really look bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> they shut the shoot off. So yeah, I, I, I definitely would do it with you, but you might have to, you might have to carry me back down the mountain. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm down. I, I will do that. If you like the physical challenge and mostly the mental challenge, because mm -hmm. I've didn't, done it with people from 17 year, 70 years and above, they climb mountains for three hours and I had doctors in my group and normally they say you would, let's say, get in severe problems around 20, 30 minutes, like to the point of hyperthermic and, and dying. You can walk for three hours depending on your age, depending on gender. It's literally a mindset game and you can learn it just in a few days. Well, I would, I would love to learn that. I would love for you to teach me. That'd be great. That, that is a deal. Then uh, we, uh, when we're back from that mountain, I buy you that apple pie, just that extra treat. <laughs> oh, you gotta have something for me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so what, that would be awesome. I have one question to close it off with because I, I already love our contact and I hope to stay in contact with you after this uh, conversation, uh, Mark. Um, <laughs> like you've worked with a lot of celebrities and a lot of people always, of course, looking up to them or are inspired by them. You're also really interested in the mind. Is there a common denominator between all of them that, let's say, what they all have with them compared to, let's say, the average Joe on the street? What makes them different? Yeah, yeah. I, I, absolutely there is. I think, you know, they're able to go there to that place. You know, some people may call it the alpha state or uh, with the thought they're able to go to alpha mm -hmm. instantaneously. They have that ability to go into that place And then if you can explain it to them, which is great about training artists, because conceptually they're already there, mm. you know, so if I tell them I'm trying to get them to that place physically, they understand what I'm saying. So there is that intangible, you know, especially with the musicians, I find, you know, that they're able to get in tune and get in vibration with certain type of energies easier than most people, I would say. Yeah. So they, they tap in, in a way, in a different mindset, much easier uh, than the... Uh, able to go back and forth a lot easier Beautiful. and then tap in and tap back out yeah i would definitely say well, well how about you would you say the same thing you've had Absolutely. Yeah. It's a mindset. I'm curious that, uh, and that's also not always the most helpful. And that's probably what you see too, is that their, their drive is so big that it's almost unstoppable. Most of the times I see it, it comes also from, let's say their childhood that they grew up also in harsh condition. And that is their fuel to, in a way, let them show the world like, hey, I will show you what success means, um, but it never stops. And that's also the price they pay. It never stops for them. And then they come to me. Yeah. And then some of them, you know, pain is a trigger. Absolutely. You know, I create my best when I'm in pain. I write my best music when I'm in pain. Exactly. So they subconsciously put themselves in painful situations over and over again to keep creating. So it can also be a down, a downside to that, but it's all about being conscious of it and making the changes and knowing how, how to work with yourself. Absolutely. Now, and, and that's it. And I think we both do that in our own similar ways to help them get better working with themselves. You're on the physical mental side. I'm mostly on the mental side. It's interesting because there is so much overlap. Mark, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. I love your energy. I love your story and also the similarities that we have in the work we do. So thank you so much. Uh, I owe you an apple pie and climbing a mountain with me. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to training with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, truly. I will reach out later, but thank you so much. And uh, the people will enjoy this interview so much for your time and looking forward to have you in Europe also. So. Yeah, I should be there in uh, two weeks, man. So we got to get together. Let me know. Love it. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Exit the Red Race Growthcast. 
We heard the story about Mark and his clientele. And one of the parts of the success formula in this episode is surrounding yourself with the right people and having the right mentors. So my question to you is, do you have the right people around you in your life right now? Are they doing what you want to do? Thank you for joining us. If you don't want to miss an episode of Exit the Red Race, make sure to subscribe. Are you listening through Apple Podcasts? We'd love you to leave a review. Do you know someone who really should hear this episode? Share it in your favorite social media so you can tag them. Oh, and don't forget to tag Daniel as well. Want to know more about Daniel Kluke? Check out his website at danielkluke.com. Are you ready to live your legend? See you next time. Exit the rat race.